Adam Sharatoff here, host of Film Wax Radio. This is episode 507, 507. Uh, uh, I, I was, I just screwed up. My, I just, first of all, let me just tell you, life of the podcaster, here's a typical day for a podcaster. Emailing with filmmakers all morning or afternoon and, and upcoming guests and people I'm courting for the show. And then run into Manhattan, go to meet Peter Biskind, uh, and 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 uh, interview him for the podcast. Peter Biskind is an upcoming guest in one of the next couple of episodes. He is, of course, uh, you know, I mean, one of the big. He's the guy that wrote Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, he's got a new book. It's called The Sky's Falling, and we're going to get to that soon. But in the meantime. Uh, after that, here's where I screwed up. I got an invitation to go to the Michael Moore Fahrenheit 11.9 documentary, New York premiere, uh, where he's going to be there, and Kent Jones was going to interview him. From He's from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, and it's at Alice Tully Hall. Well, I, I raced over there, and guess what? It is tomorrow night. So things happen. Things happen. And I will not be able to make it due to conflicts. But Oh, well, I do have a press screening invitation, so I will see it soon, probably in the next few days, but um, there it is. That's what happened to me tonight. I just said, well, I'll just go home early, and we'll get this part of the podcast out so we can post the show early for a change, and um, so every cloud has a silver lining. Okay, episode number 507. I uh, have a lot of people who, coincidentally, I know through growing up and, and, and being in the world. And because of their connection to film, eventually my path takes me to them for the podcast. So it's happened many times. It's going to happen a couple more times, uh, one on this show, this episode, and then it's going to happen again uh, in the next couple of episodes. And I, want, I don't want to tell you which one that is, because that's going to be kind of a big deal. But this episode, we have Jack Lechner, who is, um, you know, a, f- a filmmaker and a producer and uh, a, uh, a writer. And he's a, uh, I don't know, he does every, he's a renaissance man. He teaches film at Columbia. And, um, but I met him, because, and it comes up in the podcast, but I met him because when my kid was... I guess I'm assuming he was starting to go to like daycare or whatever, but we were cutting back on his nanny's hours. And so we went from having a full-time nanny to wanting to share our nanny. And that's how I met Jack. He and his wife were looking for a part-time nanny and we ended up meeting because we shared the nanny. And by the way, it's the same nanny I also would end up sharing with my friend Michael Galinsky, who is also a documentary filmmaker and who's been on the show at least three times. It's a strange thing. There's, that's just a coincidence, I might add, that the two people w- with who, who 
uh, myself and my ex-wife shared a nanny with, both happened to be filmmakers. So that that's how I met uh, Mr. Jack Lechner. Jack, uh, as I mentioned, teaches uh, film at Columbia, and he is being joined on this segment by uh, Rob King, who I believe is, uh, I think he's the head of the, the film department. Uh, I'm, 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 needless to say, he teaches film, and he's an incredible guy. And I met him a few months ago, very briefly, at a Paul Schrader event that I attended, and that's how I met Paul Schrader, who eventually came on the show. But together, Jack and Rob are have put together and produced a retrospective of films that Ira Deutschman has either produced, distributed, or consulted on. And it's very ambitious and broad, and it's exciting. And they're going to have uh, lots of Q&As at these screenings, and they're going to have panels. And it's all starting on Friday night, Friday, September 14th. And I believe it runs through the 23rd with a gap maybe in the middle. I, I don't know if they're doing it. I don't know if they're... I may, they may be doing it around the weekends. But go to uh, either the Lenfest Center or to Columbia Film School. I think it's all posted. There's also something on Facebook about it. It's called New York Indie Guy, uh, NY Indie Guy, which is uh, Ira's, his sort of self-appointed nickname, and he uses that for, like, Twitter, etc. I will mention that Ira himself has been on this podcast. He was on episode 444, so you can go back and find that episode if you want to talk. And it works nicely in tandem with this episode, because obviously we kind of plug this retrospective and various things that are happening but we also just talk about Ira in this episode, and it's a nice companion piece to this episode. So again, you can go to episode number 444 and listen to that. Um, but I'm very excited that I have on Jack Lechner and uh, Rob King. And then after that, and I won't talk about it too long because it's going to be coming up, uh, I have uh, in the second segment uh, a filmmaker who I met back at South by Southwest earlier this year, named Sasha Waters Fryer, who has made a documentary about the street photographer Gary Winogrand. And it is a spectacular and a beautiful documentary. And it opens at Film Forum, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, uh, September 19th, and other theaters, I assume. And uh, I urge you, if you're interested in street photography or this particular photographer, to please go and make sure you get to see this film. It's a really great, and I was so happy to bring on Sasha onto the podcast, but we'll talk about that in the introduction segment. Right now, I do want to get things off the ground here. Let's talk to Columbia professors, filmmakers, Rob King and Jack Lechner, who talk about the uh, great Ira Deutschman here on Film Wax Radio. Talk into the red ball like Jack this. Jack Leshner, yes. Jack Leshner. Yeah. From How are you, Jack? I am great. Thank Good. you. Good, yeah. Uh, it's always a pleasure to bring somebody on from my personal life, too. <laughs> you know? Am I from your personal life? Yeah. Well, yeah, we knew each other in a personal context before we knew each other in a professional context. Yeah, I mean, it sort of started mm-hmm. together because I think we met, you were working at Radical or freelancing That's at right. Radical? And you were meeting? at Sony. I was at Sony, and it was a very different time, and uh, I was kind of like not happy in the music industry, and I, I didn't really know what the next steps were going to be, but I was kind of like exploring, and you took a meeting 
<laughs> which was very nice. But we shared a nanny, as Rob, I was telling yeah. Rob. That's kind of how a wonderful nanny, Helen. Yeah. Well, I still and now my daughter is in uh, uh, senior year of high school, so which means that your <laughs> kid must be uh, just uh, just behind. Well, he just started high school uh, two days ago. Oh right? my gosh! Yeah, it's remarkable how quickly those yeah. years—thirteen years or something—right? Mm-hmm. I can't hear you. My kids just started oh. kindergarten last uh, yesterday. So well, that's significant. Got a ways to go, though. <laughs> that's the voice of Rob King. Rob, do you go Rob L King, or how do, how's, how do you? Just, just Rob King. Rob King. There's no, there's no L. There's and a J. Oh, there's a J. Excuse me. <laughs> there's a Rob L King out there somewhere, and I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I was talking to Rob. There's Robert L King who wrote oh. the best little whorehouse in Texas. Maybe that's who I was thinking of. And the, oh, with the no, he's Larry L King. Never mind. Son of a bitch. But we could mention, since that you referred to what was a Broadway musical, a very big, yep. successful one, but it was also made into a film, unfortunately. With the late Burt Reynolds. With the late Burt Reynolds transition. Larry L. King. I apologize, Larry, for getting your first name wrong. <laughs> if your name is King and it's preceded by an initial, we apologize to all. <laughs> but we're here today, Jack and, and Rob, or professors. How do you, what, do, do you? Do we're you, professors, but nobody professors. calls us that except first year students. Were <laughs> you by the second year? They've lost all the. Uh... By about the second class, they've lost all respect for us, and well, they just call us by our first say, names. Okay, well, they, don't, they don't talk to us at all. <laughs> it, times have changed. I mean, you know, it's like when I was young. Uh, you, you, you know, doctors. You, you, even if you, they weren't your doctor, they wanted to be referred to as Doctor Lechner, Doctor King. Since I right? don't even have an advanced degree, that would be a big mistake in my case. I see. But it was Professor Cosby. It was Professor, you know, like all this. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I, I think that when I when I had uh, university education yeah. in, in England, everyone just referred to professors by their first name. Really? That was, yeah, that was very commonplace. But for students, yeah. Um, but here, it's I, I I feel that there's a kind of there seems to be some weird ambiguity about how. Do you, I don't know. Is it true that how professors are meant to be addressed by students? I just sign off my emails to students just with my initials because I don't know how to present myself to them. Like, I see. As Professor King. Or Rob. Or as Rob, or, you know. Mr. Uh, King. Because yeah. it's an awkward thing. If you're not going to... It's easier just to say, refer to me as professor because, you know, then, it, you, don't, then you don't have to waffle and wonder about that. You know, right. it's like... But there's also something... There's something strange, maybe, about saying, oh, call me Rob, to someone who just really does not want to call me Rob. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's often uh, their so, issue. You know, they, they're just still... leave it as RK. You can make your mind up, uh, like, what you want to call me. Yeah, I would imagine, having been a student, you, you know, the difference between a first-year incoming undergraduate student and a second-year is, is huge, because, you know... You're coming. You're, this is your first. You're taking your first steps into adulthood, in a sense. You're being treated like an adult for the right. first time. So, but you're still used to looking up to adults. Yeah. And so it's odd, it would be very awkward to. Call but us. we're also teaching graduate students, some of whom have had entire careers oh, right. before they get to Columbia. Right. So who uh, themselves it would be are teachers. Strange for them to call yeah. us professor. Who themselves might be teachers, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or should be teachers. Speaking of uh, students and teaching, uh, you know, it's 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 all. One, because we're in the offices of Columbia. This is maybe my third time re- recording an, a segment here. I recorded, oh no, a second time. I was here to interview Ira Deutschman, who is why we're sitting together, one of the reasons. 
and uh, I've had on a couple of other people from Columbia faculty. You've had Annette Insdorf on your show. And that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And she was really instrumental, I, th- I think, in bringing me Paul Schrader, mm. making that happen. That was great. I think so. I mean, she introduced me to him, and then he probably didn't remember me <laughs> from that context. But I'd like to think she was instrumental. And then um, also just had Ron Raman Barani on the show. Oh, on my fantastic. Yeah, he was terrific. 500th episode guest. Ooh. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's been great. Uh, you should to, have really had him on the 451st episode, though. <laughs> I should have. I should have had him on 1 through 451, <laughs> if you ask me. Anyway, uh, but Ira was, is, you know, of course, a legend, and it, it's worthy of any tribute. Say, and tribute. we should uh, take that opportunity to segue and say that uh, we are, in fact, Rob and I are producing... NY Indie Guy, Ira Deutschman, and the Rise of Independent Film, which is a retrospective honoring the work of Ira Deutschman. I thought this is really right up my alley. I'd love to help spread the word about it, if word needs to be spread. I don't know. It always does. Is this something that's going to the Columbia Film community, or is this also meant for... This is open to the public, Mm -hmm. and we're really hoping that the public will show up. Uh, We're showing 17 films at the Lenfest Center for the Arts. Which is beautiful. That's where I met Brand new state-of-the-art building. Right. uh, Beautiful screening room. Uh, So 17 films, uh, four panels. There is a physical exhibit about uh, Ira's history in independent film. Ira, unfortunately, will not be available. He's out of town, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh boy will Ira be available Good I think he'll be there at every screening Yeah uh, Rob what was your introduction to Ira And wait look for also tell me a little bit about yourself Because this is our first time meeting Oh sure um, Well m- a little bit about myself I, I teach here at Columbia in the um, uh, Film and Media Studies program Which is um, uh, So I'm not teaching MFA students I don't teach uh, filmmaking, directing, screenwriting I teach film history, primarily American film history, uh, and I've been here for uh, six years now, started in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, my introduction... And you had a child five years ago. Interesting how quickly you used to care was about quick, having uh, an American yeah, no, child. It was... It was, it was <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> sorry, to, sorry about that. That's... that's um, yes, that's the, the, that is true. That happened... <laughs> um, that happened. Uh, that that was quick, but it, it um, but to 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 my American wife. So okay. it was, this was this was already very fully above board and everything. <laughs> okay. uh, All right. Uh, but it's um, uh, how did I get to know I? I well, I, my, I I got to know Ira. I mean, obviously, one knows him through his you know, reputation and his 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 role in the in, independent scene in the in the seventies through the. 90s and beyond but I, I got to know him because I share an office with him um, as I also share an office with Ramin so you know so mm-hmm. that was uh, that was really uh, how I how I got to know uh, both of them yeah how many classes do you teach in the- I normally teach a couple of classes a, uh, mm-hmm. a semester mm-hmm. um, you know primarily I teach um, intro film and media studies and uh, I teach um, popular American genres, so that would be comedy. I often teach exploitation. Uh, I teach um, a couple of new media classes that I'm slowly moving into as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, 
your students are mostly undergraduate, or is it kind of split? Well, we have an, an undergraduate and, an, and a master's degree within the uh, film and media studies program. I'm uh, the director of undergraduate studies, so I'm mainly, uh, you know, I'm mainly teaching uh, undergraduate students. Uh, but we have we have a lot of excellent uh, graduate students in, in our program. Also. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack, you're you're teaching. Uh, I teach the class. grad students, and I, I teach the uh, MFA students, the uh, filmmaking students, right. and specifically, I'm a professor in the producing concentration of the graduate film school. Okay, and you so, have, right, and you've produced quite a few films, and I also produce film and television, and which theater, is, and theater occasionally. Uh, but that's actually how I know Ira from uh, the professional world long before I ever came to Columbia, what, what, and before I even started teaching. What was um, the uh, beginning? I guess I met Ira when I was at Channel 4 in London and, uh, um, yeah, uh, w- was involved in a couple of movies uh, that Ira distributed at Fine Line Features. Um, like a Stephen Frears film or something? Uh, no, or, actually uh, one was Ken Loach's Ken Raining Loach. Stones, which uh, uh, Ira actually had to put subtitles on even though the film yeah. was made in English. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Because the well, accents were so thick. Wait, did he have to put... Subtitles on it for its for its British release? No, for its American release. <laughs> for its yeah. American release. No, in Britain they could actually understand it. Um, <laughs> it's an amazing film, and I recommend yes. people see it even with the subtitles. Uh, and then uh, Ira um, picked up and distributed Waterland, which uh, we helped to finance at Channel Forum, which is indeed going to be in uh, this series at Lenfest mm-hmm. with uh, Stephen Gyllenhaal, the uh, filmmaker at present. Oh, any any. Yeah, he's the father of uh, Jake and uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who, in fact, made her film debut in Waterland. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you brought up the, the series, now that we've gotten to know you guys, well, you, brought up the, you brought up the retrospective. What are the dates? And uh, we know it's at Lenfest. I think, did you already mention the dates when you said where no, it was? It's, okay. uh, it's the 14th through the 23rd of September. Oh, what is this? Well, we'll make every effort to get it prior uh, to the 14th. Yeah, it's the 14th through the 23rd of uh, uh, September 2018. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we have on weekday nights, we have a couple of screenings. And then on the weekends, we've got all-day screenings. And the panels, uh, yep. um, And again, often attended by the filmmaker or uh, special guests who had something to do with the film. I'll definitely have. To, I'll definitely make a point of of uh, coming up for some of this stuff. That's great. Yeah, he was such a significant person in the in in the in the story of of independent, American independent film. Honestly, I didn't even have a, a an idea of just how large Ira's footprint is until we started working on this series, and oh, yeah. I realized just how many movies I love touched. That, that, that Ira touched at one point or another, either distributed them, produced them, uh, was a consultant on the marketing for them. Yeah. Um, you know, the earliest film we're showing in the series is A Woman Under the Influence, John uh, Cassavetti's uh, remarkable film. Which, masterpiece. Uh, was the know. first film Ira ever worked on. He was uh, the, uh, mi- he organized the Midwestern premiere while he was still a student. Right. He talks about that on the, uh, on, when he, on the segment he guested on. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, uh, just bizarre, right? He could just call up. He, I think he just called him up or something. I might be remembering a story Jeff Lipsky told me. Yeah, I think the wasn't that the the case that Jeff Lipsky was brought on to mm-hmm. help promote the film, and that that involved some uh, outreach to universities. And, mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. You know, so that's, that's, right. That, that's I guess where Ira latches onto the to the film. 
And I, 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 I wow. completely agree with uh, with Jack that you know you, you, I didn't realize like the, like the the extent of his involvement in the evolving independent film scene until we were putting together all of these titles and it was it was really an an eye opener and i think one of the interesting things about the the retrospective is that it seems to me that it's quite unusual to have a retrospective that is you know that, that is devoted to a distributor or a producer or a marketer you know, i mean we're familiar with the idea of a retrospective that is devoted to the work of a of a single or a filmmaker, or, right? Uh, right exactly. Yeah, where we get to kind of create, or genre. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But uh, you know, to have a, a retrospective that's focused on an individual who's been involved in producing, distributing, and marketing films, what you're seeing is not, you know, as would be the case in these other kinds of festivals, the development of a creative thumbprint or something like that. As much as you're, you're really seeing, like the, the development of of a, of a sector of the industry like you're seeing the changing ecology of the independent film scene from like that you know that Cassavetes moment you know the, that we're all familiar with through to you know through to really you know the the very complex status of independence as it, as it exists today in relation to the major studios so it's kind of a, a fascinating Walk through, uh, you know, a, a part, of, an important part of film history. I think. Could you could you do this retrospective anywhere other than New York City? You couldn't because there's there's at least that many film lovers and film obsessives that would know if they don't know Ira, they would certainly say, "Oh, well, that guy, uh, that's he was. Who is this guy? Let me go check out." Could you really do that anywhere? You could I mean, maybe do it in uh, um, Los Angeles, but uh, certainly maybe. it helps to do it in New York City. There aren't too many producers, obviously. That's why I can't think of them. That, and again, there aren't too many people who have had the scope right. and reach of, of Byron in his That's career. Right. You know, we, we're doing, uh, you know, in these 17 films, we, we have uh, three themed programs. We've got a day of uh, queer cinema with uh, a really remarkable bunch of films. Uh, Tom Kalin's film Swoon, and Tom, sure. of course, teaches here at Columbia. Um, we've got uh, um, the late Bill Sherwood's Parting Glances, uh, Steve which yeah, Steve mm-hmm. Buscemi, the film that put him on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, a restored print uh, that uh, no one in America has seen of Outrageous, which is a kind of a neglected gem hmm. uh, by Richard Benner, who uh, tragically died of AIDS very young. Um, but uh, this was uh, really one of the first gay-themed independent films to cross over to the mainstream. Uh, 1977, about uh, a drag queen played by uh, uh, Craig Russell, who was a, a noted drag queen of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, we're also showing 54, the director's cut by Mark Christopher, Columbia alum, mm. uh, and he'll be here. Uh, and that's, uh, I'll actually be on the panel for that because I was, Ira produced the movie and I was the Miramax executive uh, charged with developing the movie. And uh, that's a movie where almost everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, and in this case, what could go wrong was Harvey Weinstein. Jack, I think we're going to have to have you back on the podcast <laughs> very soon to kind of follow up on some we, of this. You could do a whole podcast just on the 54 story. And honestly, you could do a lot worse and have Mark Christopher on to talk about it. Because sure. it was, I, I always, the, the analogy, I may use this again in the uh, um, panel, uh, panel, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
went years later when I worked on the fog of war and uh, spent a lot of time with Robert McNamara and listening to the uh, tapes of McNamara and Johnson in the white house as the Vietnam war was going wrong. I kept thinking, this is really familiar, this dynamic. What was it? And I realized this was like working on 54. If 54 were at war, there would be many, many thousands of people dead. Can you, <laughs> can you just make one kind of broad stroke, giving an idea of what you're getting at when you when everything went wrong? Um, it was, was a very... Was it, was it I the, teach this in my class now because oh, it's, a, it's sort of a, case a classic case study yeah. problem for producers, which is the... Filmmaker, Mark Christopher, writer-director, knew what movie he wanted to make. Yeah. And he set out to make that movie. This happened not to be the movie that Harvey Weinstein, the financier of the movie, wanted to make. Sure, right. And, and only one vision was going to win out, and it wasn't going to be the filmmakers. No, it was the guy with the, um, the money. And as a result, the movie that Harvey released, uh, which was loathed by critics and audiences alike, uh, is rewritten, reshot, uh, re-edited and bears only a cursory resemblance to Mark's original vision. Um, so uh, Ira and Mark actually painstakingly put the film back together, and that's the version that we're showing. The director's cut. Yeah, it's yep. amazing. You uh, you mentioned, Jack, that there were three three theme days, although we got sidetracked that into a lot of... Okay, <laughs> right. Hey, um, listen, I, um, it's a, it's a, I, got also, I got an audience. I got to get the... No, no, no. The it's tawdry, true, tabloid it, stuff right. out there, too. It's important to keep people hooked. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but we, yeah, we're days. also going to have a, mm-hmm. uh, a day devoted to, um, uh, to documentaries um, and a day uh, devoted to, um, uh, to female filmmakers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so it's, it provides an interesting sense like when, you know, of, of how the independent sector... You know, functioned you know, during a period when Ira was uh, was involved in it, you know, as as a as, as a venue for filmmakers who otherwise weren't really getting a you know getting opportunities to make films within you know within the major studios. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, the idea of independent cinema in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties of as, of it as being a cinema of outsiders is often voiced, but you get to. You get to see that kind of inaction over the course of the retrospective, I think. So has Ira always had this agenda of telling the stories uh, or wanting to participate in the telling of stories about the outsider? Because, I mean, here's a white straight guy, (laughs) right? By the way, you're marketing it. uh, We got to get those guys. Those are usually the film geeks. Or a good portion of them, anyway. Anyway, but it was. Do you feel like that? All kidding aside, do you feel like Ira? That was kind of an Ira's. Uh, I, I think that's intention? always been part of the unique selling proposition of independent film. Yeah. Is if you're if independent film is actually going to compete in the marketplace and in the marketplace of ideas, it has to provide something that Hollywood uh, mainstream film is not providing. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, that was, and even now, that's. One of the main things it can provide is stories about people that you don't see in Hollywood films told by people who aren't making Hollywood films. And Ira embraced that from the beginning. Yeah. And we're talking post, post-70s, post essentially. Yeah. Because we're that's where really the talking from really... mid-70s, yeah. uh, you know, right up to right. the present. Where we're, yeah. Um, which is why I kind of also were so glad when I do talk to somebody like an, uh, Ira or an Amos Poe because I feel like... With the with the you know with Jaws and Star Wars and Raiders and all those films that were coming out at that period, right after the heyday of you know 
after the Easy Riders Raging Bulls era. Exactly, yeah. Then the, these guys really kind of came in, or a lot of guys like that. A lot of mostly men, mm-hmm. still mostly men. There were women. And and again, I you know it was really striking when we looked at all the films to realize mm-hmm. how much from the beginning Ira had really been a supporter right, right. of uh, female filmmakers, gay filmmakers, minority yes. filmmakers, right? Um, and uh, just really how many movies we had to choose from to illustrate all these points. Yeah. In the Visionary Women Day, we're showing Gillian uh, uh, Armstrong's wonderful Starstruck, uh, which I don't think a lot of people have seen. As I, I said, I've it was seen. not a hit here. Right. But, Did uh, it get much distribution here? It's a punk remember... rock musical. Ira distributed it at uh, um, Cinecom. And it's a delightful film. Yeah? Uh, and and really not like anything else Gillian Armstrong ever made. Yeah. Wow. Um, we're, we're showing... Uh, 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 Chilly Scenes of Winter, Joan Mecklen Silver's so, great film, sure. yeah. which Ira and his team at United Artists Classics uh, basically uh, rediscovered after UA proper had botched the release right. um, with a new title and a new ending. Yeah, and, stars. Uh, uh, that we're, we're not only are we showing the film, but uh, we're, we have a panel with Joan Mecklen Silver, the filmmaker, oh. uh, the three producers slash actors, uh, Amy Robinson, Mark Metcalf, and Griffin Dunn, and uh, the actors Mary Beth Hurt and Peter Riegert. So that's going to be one for the books. I got to come to that one. Well, I've been wanting to get Joan Mecklen Silver on anyway, but this might be your chance, right? actually. Yeah, yeah. And sadly, uh, we should, if we're speaking of chilly scenes of winter, uh, John Hurt, unfortunately, we, heard, we lost John Hurt, who's also was, in Waterland. Uh, we, um, he, well, that was kind of, yeah, not kind of, that was tragic. Yeah. And it was right after, it was right around the time, I think that he had just died days before I met with Ira, actually. Uh, the 15th. It is Saturday the 15th uh, at 6 p.m. is when we're showing Chili Scenes of Winter. Saturday the 16th. I'm not sure I'm not going to make it. Saturday the 15th. The 15th. And then the pa- what time is the panel? Uh, the, the, so the, the film it will be at 6 p.m. and the, the panel will be at about 7.30. That whole day is the uh, is the Visionary Women Day mm-hmm. as well. Makes sense. And on the uh, on the uh, documentary day, mm-hmm. uh, which Rob mentioned, uh, we're also showing uh, um, Harlan County, USA, Barbara Koppel's classic film. Mm-hmm. Um, we're showing a delightful one-off called This Old Cub, uh, which. Uh, is about the uh, Chicago Cubs player Ron Santo uh, mm-hmm. and his amazing personal story. And this is uh, really uh, very personal for Ira because Ira Deutschman is oh, right. right up there as That's one right. of the world's biggest Chicago Cubs fans. He's a big baseball um, He has yeah. actually, uh, Ira has attended every Chicago Cubs postseason game uh, at Wrigley Field since he was born. And uh, two years ago, uh, when Ira was on uh, sabbatical, he actually managed to attend every postseason game period. Sounds like, a, is he alone when he's doing that? <laughs> no, I, he's I, around, he has a very tolerant he's wife. several thousand friends. Right. I think, am I right that he grew a beard during that time? Yes, like, he did. During he didn't that, shave uh, until they won the World Series. Right. Okay. Uh, again, the dates. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the documentary day is Sunday, uh, September twenty third, mm-hmm. and that day will cap off with right. uh, we have a wonderful panel on the preservation crisis in indie film, um, which really is I think one of the most interesting panels we've got because mm-hmm. you know the, these are movies that were made in all kinds of formats uh, by all kinds of people 
many of which were just sort of shoved in basements somewhere. Mm-hmm. And now they're in all kinds of shape. Sure. Um, and so we have a number of people on the panel who are actively working to preserve them, like uh, Sandra Schulberg, who teaches with us at Columbia, uh-huh. who's uh, the founder of an organization called Indie Collect. Um, oh, sure. Uh, we, uh, the panel is moderated by Dennis Doros from uh, Milestone, who uh, you know has uh, spearheaded the restoration and release, re-release of uh, all the Shirley Clark movies, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jason. Yeah, Portrait of Jason, Portrait exactly, Jason, right. yeah. in the Cold World. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got... Uh, Shola Lynch and uh, Elena Rossi Snook from uh, the uh, New York Public Library. So mm-hmm. uh, it's really uh, this is a very ambitious um, retrospective, yeah. considering. Yeah, and and then that day is capped with uh, the last waltz, uh, Martin Scorsese's amazing uh, music documentary, mm-hmm. and we are hoping Starring that Neil there will Diamond be and... yeah, <laughs> Neil Diamond and others. Yes, and others. Exactly. It's Ed, Ed Al. And, and we're hoping that there will be a uh, very special guest uh, for that one, uh, which I uh, cannot confirm or deny yet. Okay, off off mic. Okay, so again, the uh, dates for the entire from the the the, the retrospective over overall. It would be the uh, f- uh, the fourteenth through the twenty uh, third. Again, it ta- it will all take place at the Len. Lenfest, Lenfest Center for the Center. Arts, which the actually arts, which is, is it's kind of a new venue that um, it's at 129th Street, 129th Street between uh, Broadway and uh, just off Riverside Broadway. Drive. Yeah, 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 between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Lenfest is a is a new new venue that just yes. opened almost exactly a year ago, in fact. Uh, and since its opening, we've been um, we've been taking baby steps towards establishing it as a as a space for retrospective screenings uh we tried it uh, an initial step in that direction was taken earlier this year in march with the first in the um, in a projected 10-year series of film noir retrospectives mm-hmm. um and uh yeah that's where I, uh, again where i ran into paul schrader oh you were at that I went to the talk, yeah, that oh, he did right. there. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. That's yeah, and so this, uh, I guess this, the Ira Deutschman retrospective will... Maybe I met you there. Were you there? I was Did there. you walk in and say hello? I did walk we in shook, I think hello. we shook hands. Yeah, no, I think we did. I was yeah. sitting with Annette, I think, we're Sitting at the front, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we have... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I vaguely um, remember. We met by, by the buffet, maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, good. Um... I, th- I think it's one of those things where, because we're friends on Facebook, oh, okay. right? but I've never met you. Right. Um, but then at the, maybe after that, we at the Paul's, no, it was before okay. that, and then at the Paul Schrader thing, at the Paul Schrader talk, I thought, oh, is this that guy that? Oh, that's interesting. I'm friends with it's funny Facebook. how now the the synapses. <laughs> no, I don't actually are, know. You know, it's very but, bizarre. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, so that was in March, and then this. Yep. Uh, the, so the Ira Deutschman thing is actually going to be the biggest retrospective that we've attempted uh, uh, so far. And where can uh, people find the, the 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 schedule if they want to just? Well, if you type in um, "ny indie guy" right uh, in your browser search bar, you know it'll be uh, just "ny i n d i e g u y" that it'll it'll either up. take you to Ira Deutschman's Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, or it'll take right. you to the homepage for the for the retrospective, right? And uh, if you're not if you're listening and you're not able to make it, I still re- recommend you follow Ira's Twitter feed, <laughs> so you yes, can at least right. get. Well, although I suspect that I- uh, Ira's Twitter feed will itself be promoting the uh, website right. for <laughs> NYNTK uh, right. over the next few days. 
I should also point out, Ira is doing a uh, series of blog posts on his blog, uh, NYND Guy, about the uh, films in the series, uh, telling oh, the story anecdotes. behind each one and oh, wow. anecdotes about his involvement with them. Yeah, if he wasn't They're busy. really delightful. Uh, this is exciting. I'm glad. I'm so glad I, I, we were able to pull this off, guys. And, Thank uh, you, Adam. You know, and we can definitely follow up, and, and if, uh, if, if there are subsequent things you want to talk about. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's one other I really want to mention, which yeah, is uh, we're showing uh, The Brother from Another Planet. I was uh, going to bring that up. John Sayles' amazing film. Uh, right. John Sayles and Maggie Renzi will be talking about it afterward, oh, wow. moderated by our Columbia colleague, Jamal Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, who usually sits at this chair that we're looking at right now. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I was telling Jamal last night that that movie really means something to me because uh, it was the first movie that my wife and I saw uh, as a couple, uh, and that was oh. 31 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Jamal said, honestly, I got you beat. I saw it in Leavenworth Federal Prison. <laughs> and he'll tell the story oh, of that. Jamal. Uh, at the, okay, uh, I, I know that. I thought I knew that name. Now I remember the, the context. Yes. Jamal has had an amazing life, and yeah. he'll, he'll tell that story at the oh. uh, event. Okay, well, I'd love to get him on, too. Um, I should just set up an office at the Columbia, I You think. really should. By the way, just should mention, for personal reasons, John Sayles guest for episode three hundred, mm. Barbara Koppel guest for episode number two hundred. All right. So we're kind of in the same mind space here. It's something, Jeff. I guess you could say Ira's touched the podcast many times over as well. Yes, we could has. do a. I could do a retrospective of my episodes based on people <laughs> that he's touched their professional careers and. Um, yeah. So check out New York Indie Guy. For more details and come to as much as you can over the course of that that week or so, uh, as I will. Thanks. We'll be there. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Photograph. Gary Winogrand, uh, 1928 to 1984, asks in his iconic gravelly Bronx accent, decades before digital technology transformed how we make and see pictures, Winogrand made hundreds of thousands of them with his 35mm Leica, creating an encyclopedic portrait of America from the late 50s to the early 80s. In the process, when he died at, suddenly at age 56, Winogrand left behind more than 10,000 rolls of film, more than a quarter of a million photos. These images capture a bygone era, the New York of Mad Men, and the early years of the women's movement and the birth of American suburbs and the glamour and alienation of Hollywood. He produced so many unseen images that it has taken until right now 
for the full measure of his artistic legacy to emerge. Forged by Winogrand's own words and images, Gary Winogrand, All Things Are Photographable, is a stunningly intimate portrait of an artist who both personified his era and transformed it. Please uh, listen in on this conversation I had with filmmaker Sasha Waters Fryer, who also happens to be the uh, photographer and chair of the Department of Photography and Film at Virginia Commonwealth University, for this great conversation. The film, again, opens at the Film Forum on September 19th. Here now, my conversation with the filmmaker and photographer, Sasha Watersfryer, here on Film Wax Radio. Gary Winogrand was a true poet of photography, a true poet of American life. He took this genre of so-called street photography and turned it on its head and made it something new. He developed ways of photographing that left it all very confusing to people he was photographing as to whether or not he had actually taken the picture. Winogrand was controversial and even remains so. Everyone thinks there's something about an eye. Gary was an athlete. Because he had a Bronx accent and there are stories about him getting into fistfights and so there was a sense that he was, you know, this tough guy New Yorker. You become an artist despite, not because. I don't care what the situation is, who the person is. You've got to be tough and aggressive and, and it may not look it, but you better be. Winogrand's career formed a part of a dramatic transition in the world of photography, away from journalism and toward the world of the fine arts. One of the things I love about Winogrand is the dance. If you look at a Winogrand picture, in a lot of the photographs, he gets the legs. Look at the dance here. Look at the dance here. Dancing. Everyone's dancing. Sometimes we refer to him as sort of the first digital photographer, in the sense that he really shot without regard to the economy of film. One of the things that's always really fascinated me about him is that he died with thousands of rolls of undeveloped film. What could that be? Holy moly, what a strange journey Gary took us on. We're in the Westin huh. Hotel here at Austin, Doesn't Texas. It looks like it gets a lot of natural light. South by Southwest. A lot of, a lot of plants don't need, uh, you know, natural light. I guess it's I'm not making, getting, I'm not getting stuff any up. natural light. I'm making stuff That's up. That's why I thought it was not real. Right. But apparently it is. Sasha Watersfryer director of Gary Winogrand, the uh, All Things Are Photographable, your new documentary. Is this, uh, is this uh, how many films have you made uh, as a director? Well, I mainly, I mainly make short, sort of avant-garde experimental films oh, in 16mm. Right. Okay. So I've made a couple of longer films, but this is my first real... Like kind of conventional documentary. Feature. This is my first more conventional documentary. Gotcha. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's thoroughly watchable. <laughs> I mean, that's quite an endorsement. And I'm going to tell people also that uh, I, while I had to do it in advance, so therefore I couldn't get to a screening, I did. I do have a, a monitor that I hook up my computer to, so I was watching it on a probably a Vimeo link, but on a larger screen. Oh, good. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, as good as it looks on that, think about watching it on the scale of a large screen because uh, every picture t- is like seeing a film in a sense that, you know, what, that's what m- makes a Gary and other street photographers as, that are as talented as him, their pictures are special. Right, and I think it's a really special way to experience his work, either for people who love him and know the work, or for people who are being introduced the first time, right. because right. it's really different from looking at the work 
in, you know, flipping through a book or seeing it on yeah, the wall of a right. gallery or a museum. It's like you're seeing yeah. this whole sweep of images. They're about almost 400 uh, photographs by Winogrand in the film. Wow. So, and you're seeing them big. So you get to see the complexity, yeah. the density of everything that he's kind of packing into every shot. Right. Uh, interestingly, there's not a lot of footage of, of Winogrand himself, right? There's like uh, no. some audio. There's mm-hmm. uh, obviously some photos and some, a little bit of like a few appearances, but you had to really work with around that. Uh, is, was that a big challenge for you? It was, and even of some of the material that exists. So, for example, there's a television interview that he did with a woman named Barbara Lee Diamondstein Spielvogel. So it was, uh, right. So so <laughs> Sasha Waters Fryer seems like nothing compared to right, that. Exactly. Name. How did you just do the pull that out? Say it again. <laughs> Barbara Lee Diamond. Sh- <laughs> no, I can't do it. Barbara <laughs> Lee Diamond Steen Spielvogel, because that's the name of her archive down at Duke. So it's a long. It's 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 an hour long color. Oh, okay. Video. Right. I only use a few tiny pieces of it that, because it just looks. Ter- you know, it's oh, that VHS. Sure. Sure. Like even yeah. kind of being processed and, and going through post, oh, right. it and doesn't look good. And if you're not using it, what, ironically, right. it doesn't really work to your advantage. Right, exactly. And the same thing with the, there's a black and white Betamax tape of him teaching that's maybe an hour and a half long. And I use a lot of audio from that. Right. Only use a tiny piece of video from it. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, what What did you feel like you wanted to do? Did you want to, uh, were you interested in, well, maybe there's not an one or the other, maybe it's both, but were you more interested in... I don't know, presenting his, this, the, the work, the body of work mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, new audiences or just share your, your love of this photographer? Or were you trying to kind of figure out this, this artist? Sure. I think, you know, I, I, from start to finish in terms of the very beginning, just starting to research him to finishing the film was about five years. So I started shooting the film in August of 2013. So there's a lot of research that went into it. And I would say that my ideas about the film changed sort of as I went through the research and then as yeah. I started shooting interviews. I think in the beginning, I just thought, I'm really into this photographer. I want to spend more time with this work and sort of think about what it means, what we might be able to learn from it, both from the content of the work, the idea that he is able to make these images that kind of have all this chaos in them, but then still hold together, mm-hmm. which is something that um, Aaron O'Toole, who's a curator at MoMA, says in the film, and also this idea of someone who shot so much well, yeah. before the digital age. Like, what could we learn from that? Yeah. But then as I began to film the interviews and get more invested in the research, I became more interested in him as a person and sort of his Makes sense. His, his struggles. Yeah, one of which was uh, just a practical struggle. He shot obsessively. I mean, uh, you know, it was just this, this was his personality. It was... He was very obviously stimulated visually <laughs> walking mm-hmm. around the city. Uh, did he shoot in mostly in, in New York? He shot, I think he's mostly known for his work in okay. New York, All but right. he did crisscross the country on a couple of trips. So oh, there right. are these great photographs yes. from Michigan or from yeah. you know Nevada or wherever. Right. And then he lived in Texas and Austin for five years. Oh, and so at the end of his life, great... he lived in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Okay. He just took. Uh, 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 such a quantity and he didn't I guess have a staff of, of, of assistant production assistants to you know develop and, and organize because he left a legacy of how many rolls of undeveloped about film? About 10,000 rolls of undeveloped okay, film well, so almost a quarter of a million pictures. I know 10,000 it's a lot. So he I mean what happens is that he. Like he, rolls of 36 exposures that kind of thing? Yes I mean it, go, it depends yeah. and actually some of them because he was 
creating his own film canister. Some oh. are bigger, some are smaller because right. he's bulk loading. But what happens is that he's he's kind of keeping up with his processing and making mm -hmm. contact sheets while he's in New York. He falls behind periodically, but once he leaves New York, he comes to Austin. He doesn't really have a dark room. He has a um, he's married for the third time. He has a young child. He has his teaching. So he starts to fall behind, but he's still shooting, shooting, shooting. Then he gets to Los Angeles. He does start working with a darkroom. He has a printer who he's working with at that point. But he's so far behind. Yeah. And, and, and I think he always had this idea that he would stop at some point and catch up. But right. then he didn't. No. So. Uh, tell this, this uh, anecdote about him carrying his son on his shoulder. He was already a little late in life, right? He's a, he was a latter-day oh, yeah. dad. I yes. myself am a latter-day dad. Yes. So I think one of the things I was really interested in with his personal story was the way in which his story challenged this sort of cliche or trope of artist biography, right? Yeah. I think a lot of times when we see artist biographies about male artists, the cliche might be, oh, well, he was a terrible husband or a terrible dad or a real asshole, but that's okay because we have this work. And right. I think with Gary Winogrand, you know, he wasn't a terrible person. He was actually a great person who a lot of love, but he was very conflicted. And he did go through two divorces. And, and he did struggle to kind of find this balance between being a parent and doing his creative work, and, which I think a lot of us can relate to. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of his life, again, he died very suddenly of cancer. He was only 56 years old. He had an 8-year-old daughter. And so one of the things that um, a photographer named Thomas Roma talks about in the film is this idea that Gary was slowing down because of his health, which was not that great for a lot of reasons, but he also was going out and photographing and taking his daughter with him because he wanted to spend time with her because he hadn't great. been able to spend time with his older kids. Yeah, right. So it's, it's very moving, and I think, when, yeah. when Tom Roma talks about that. Yeah, he does, right. That's the one that, that figures out by looking at these photographs right uh, which were, were those developed after gary was gone right so tom roma was yeah. one of the three cur three curators at of MoMA? the posthumous show okay he's a photographer who worked with moma to do the posthumous show in 1988 okay and through going through these rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of this posthumous work he could see um sort of in the contact sheets you see gary's feet when he's loading the film and oh, then right. he sees There's melissa's the, feet the, uh, but a lot of people are growing up now without um Film cameras, right? People don't their, know what contact they don't under, are. They don't know what. Well, yes, that's right. And except for again, in a kind of a art art direction decision to include a contact sheet, right? In a in a magazine expose or something. But that the when you loaded the camera, you are shut. Uh, what's the term? Moving when you're, you're advancing advancing the film, the film in, in the, through the spool ahead, and so you want to get to the first full frame. And so you usually have a dis you, you're clicking through. You're taking pictures of nothing usually right. with the camera lens on. And you're just fact. kind of pointing at the ground. And you right. And you're exactly so. Those images kind of gave clues to what he was doing when he was taking the pictures because it turned out that he had on his daughter on his shoulders. At, right. Yeah. For, so you see, it's really right. funny. Like like the concept that that could be in itself a like a, an art piece that these these images that are taken accidentally or unintentionally, whatever. Right. It was really amazing role. to go through the contact sheets and really pay attention to those sort of non-image images to see where is he, what shoes is he wearing, what's you know, who is he with, right? Because yeah. then you do start to see at this certain time in his life that he's with he's with his daughter quite frequently when he's photographing. Yeah. For you, who's making a film about somebody you never met, mm -hmm. ostensibly, it's a it's an interesting kind of clue in the puzzle. 
Talk about your making the film. That again, it's called Gary Winogrand. All things are photographable, and it's having its uh, world world premiere world premiere here in uh, in, uh, in Austin, Texas, which is a good spot to do that in, uh, since he lived here. I mean, how did you decide which? You said there were some four hundred photos that are uh, there are about four hundred photographs in the in film this, in this movie. Uh, just did, how did you? Well, how many did you have to go through to where you're looking at? Well, I don't think there's any one person ever who's looked at every single contact sheet <laughs> because even right. in 88 there were the three curators and they split up the work oh. and I had people helping me in particular I had people helping me look for the photographs of the feet because that's just sort of going through the ends right. and then I had another a, a friend who's a wonderful photographer Jeffrey Ladd who's based in Cologne, Cologne Germany he helped a lot with the research and going through contact sheets looking for sort of new winograms. Um, so there are about 35 new photographs by Winogram that have never been seen before. Like, we found them in the contact sheets. Right. So that was really exciting. Some of them are from as early as the 1950s. Some of them are the late posthumous work. And then uh, in terms of the other images that we chose, I wanted to include a lot of the color work because that's work that's really rarely seen by him. And then it was sort of a mix of iconic images that people might know, like the interracial couple with the chimpanzees or the yeah. laughing woman with the ice cream cone. There's the girls on the park bench. And the, Yes, the girls on the park bench, which we see a couple of times. And then also, it, the film unfolds chronologically, and so there are pictures, when we're talking about particular books, that I'm drawing the pictures from those books mm-hmm. and trying to just keep, keep it to the strong... Like, I don't particularly care for the book Women Are Beautiful, but... Keep keeping that section of the film limited pretty much to those pictures yeah. sort of needed to happen for the integrity of the film. So what's your relationship now with this person, this artist, this photographer? Huh, it's such a funny thing because he is deceased. I mean, it's not like making a film about a living person where you have that yeah. personal relationship. But I do feel... You know, I, I feel really, I was very lucky. It was, I mean, very privileged to have a wonderful relationship with the estate. So his ex, his third wife, who's his widow, yes, manages the estate. And she and the Frankel Gallery were just incredibly generous in terms of just giving me a lot of freedom. And then his two older children are a little bit older than me, Ethan and Lori, who mm-hmm. you see in the film. So I'm in touch with them. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I feel, I mean, I mean, we grew, we all grew up in New York kind of around the same time. So right. I feel connected to them in that way. Or yeah. even his first wife, who you see in the film, you know, she's, she's like, so, she's like every, like, older woman in the neighborhood that I grew up with. So, yeah. so I feel that kind of, um, like, we're from the same village, I, I guess I would say. You speak think. the same language, shorthand. Yeah. And do they, what did the family think of your film? So Eileen, you, I mean, did you? I, I assume you gave them in advance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah but they haven't all seen it. Oh, okay, they're gonna see it here. Are they here? No, they're gonna see it in San Francisco. So Eileen, okay. his wife, his ex, his widow, yeah. has seen it. Okay. And, but his children, I have not seen it. So Ethan Winogrand oh. told me he wasn't ready to see it. Really? And I think we're. I mean, if this film screens in Spain, he lives in Spain, oh, so okay. I'm hoping that we can do a screening together in Spain. Sure. But I told him I was like, I think you should see it before you watch it in public. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, it could be a very emotional yeah. experience. I mean, it will be. It's inevitably. A, a, of course it is. Yeah, and I'm sure it's strange for them to yeah. have right. well, did, uh, someone come did, along and make a film about their dad. Did Did Gary, uh, did he have a, a following in Europe? I mean, is there a large, do you know? Are you familiar or aware of, of whether there's a, uh, a 
you know, but like he has a base of a following in, in uh, Europe? You know, in uh, when there was this big retrospective in 2013, it was at SF MoMA, the National Gallery, and okay. the Met. And right. then in Europe, it went to it went to the Jeu de Palme. So I know he's got a big following in France, France. Okay. yeah, in right. Paris. And then yeah. I feel like it was... Because you don't know unless you go there and try it out. Right, it might have been one more place. Maybe it may have been in Spain. Okay. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the film plays internationally. Yeah. It might be a little too American, mm-hmm. which sometimes... Is a good thing, or sometimes it's not, right? Yeah. It's not really about America, but... Well, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think photographs, regardless of the subject, can be... I mean, it's about photography, which it, is very yeah. universal. And people are universal. And right. <laughs> these, are, these and other sage observations will be continued mm-hmm. during the course of this conversation. Anyway, um, you're saying this was the world premiere, so, so this I is the have world an premiere. Do you have something in, you know, other, another festival set up, or... That you can talk about, or is it? I do, but I don't know if I can tell you. Yeah, no, don't. <laughs> no. It's fine. Yeah, so there's I don't, more. I do. Okay. I have a couple more festivals lined up, but they haven't been announced publicly right. yet. No, no, don't do that. Because okay. uh, I mean, I could, of course, wait to put this out, but I, I, I'll do whatever Susan wants me to do, yeah. as far as helping your film in any way, I, little way I can. Uh, you know. Uh, so you had uh, how was you had your premiere obviously already. Mm-hmm. Did you have a second screening yet, or? No, my second screening will be tomorrow, tomorrow? and the third screening on Thursday. Okay, and how so. did your how did your premiere go? What did the audience think? I think the premiere went really great. I was a little nervous at sure. eleven o'clock on a Monday. Okay, but it got a nice. Yeah, turnout. there was a really good turnout, and it was exciting, and people responded well. And I sat in the back and s- tried to gauge the energy of the room, you know, which is hard, hard to do. It is hard with a. I mean, you can only you can you can gauge the energy of the room if it's bad. Right, yeah. like oh, if right. people are shifting around Sh- a right. lot, right? Leaving, leaving. That's, that's <laughs> There's always a small clue <laughs> yeah, into. Exactly. So, but people seem, you know, pretty wrapped and. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was really it was great, and I've I've had I have just this film, has just had like the stars align and the heavens smile upon it, and how many amazing people I have been, lucky enough to work with. So just I got involved with American Masters and Submarine pretty early oh, on. Wow. Like yeah. the Submarine got involved based on like a two-minute trailer. I mean, and they were incredible. And uh, Susan, the of bronze, course. The, the bronze, bronze yes. brothers. Yeah. yeah. And, and David Coe. Right. Yeah. And then you get a blue chip publicist. I know. Like she's Susan the best. Margit, she's totally amazing. Absolutely. So I just feel really... Yeah. yeah, it's like Gary is magic. Yeah. Well, People I, just I was around. told I was this was put on my radar by I'm going to give a shout out and I know he's listening. Uh, photographer Godless, who's a, a street photographer himself, or oh yeah, even though he's known as a rock rock photographer, but he's also he's a really good photographer. You know, I did a uh, I recently uh, did a Kickstarter campaign, and he came up to me for and his he book. Goes, or for no, your, he, oh, he for did you? The, he did oh, one okay. as well for his book. That's right, but I did one for my podcast and more of my oh. business. And and Godless, he, you know, he came up to me. He goes, I know you're doing a, a Kickstarter. And, you know, I'll print some photos up for you. He printed uh, a few copies of this one with Agne, Agnes Varda, uh, Jim Jarmish, and Martin Scorsese. And I was able to use them as rewards. Oh, and that's they, so I brought, great. In fact, the guy, one of the, a filmmaker friend who's hosting me here in Austin won, won one of the Agnes Varda. So I brought it with me and hand-delivered it. Oh, um, that's great. Right from Godless, you know, to him. And he's also the official kind of photographer at the the, the Link Film Society for the F- Film Society of Lincoln Center. Oh, okay. So he does a lot of he photographs the New York Film Festival and mm-hmm. other events. Anyway, but he he put your, he said you you know I was he says you, I saw the uh, Gary Winogrand documentary. You got to get this filmmaker on. She's 
Great. Yeah, he came to a sneak preview in New York. Right. So I met him there. Yeah. That was wonderful. And he was, I guess. And that's where I met Susan, too. Right. And he, and he said, Susan's a closet Winograd fan. So she, so they're all excited about your documentary. So and I got to see it, and I feel the same. Congratulations, yeah, and I uh, look forward to more from from uh, Sasha Waters Fryer, and and I look forward to us meeting with Jonathan Saffron Forward. To <laughs> just we're gonna just we're gonna have a podcast where it's everyone with there's the a new double docu- last name. He did involve Hillary he's Rodham Clinton. Animals. Hillary Rodham Clinton can be uh, there. Well, that's not as confusing though. But but Laura I, Ingalls Wilder, but she's not alive anymore. No, no. Uh, Just stick, the there's many, many. But Jonathan Safran Foer is involved. He wrote a book a couple years back called Eating Animals, and they've made it in. It is now part of it. It's now a documentary that he's involved with. Oh. So I was hoping to bring him on. Not here, but eventually when I get. It. Oh I think yeah, it I've read about that book. I didn't I know it, it was a documentary. At Hot Docs. Okay. No, no. Excuse me. It premiered at Doc NYC. Or something okay. like that. Anyway, okay. thank you. I'm distracted. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, was this is so great. Music. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned. Lots of exciting stuff coming up on the podcast. It's only getting better. Thank you for supporting the podcast thank you for writing positive reviews on our itunes if you haven't done so please go to itunes and find film Wax and write a review and leave a star rating please do reach out and stay in touch we're available through most social media platforms including facebook instagram twitter youtube very easy to engage with all things film Wax radio thank you for listening uh, until next time Take care of yourself, the ones you love. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use driving. Cheers.